Hello, everybody. This is Shane Douglas Keene, and I am here with my partners, Laurel Hightower and Rich Duncan. And we are here today. I think this is the first time ever that we've had two guests on at the same time. Is that correct, Rich? I think think so. And those two guests are author John Foster, and we're going to have to ask Linda a lot more. I know Linda does narrates audiobooks i'm assuming mm-hmm. that makes you a, a voice a narrator actor. yes so that's all we know about linda but we're going to learn a hell of a lot more <laughs> john's more always, than you wanted to john's always so busy talking about himself we never get to learn about linda <laughs> i know that's how it is all the time <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure i've been with you in this experience <laughs> <laughs> John, click. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just keep an eye on the on the names up at the top. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, let's start with this, John. How about if you uh, tell people we've already published one, but uh, tell people about the new column. Oh, awesome! Yeah, uh, Crime Wave is uh, the new column. It will come out every month. Um, and the focus is on crime fiction and noir, um, which are not always exactly the same, although they tend to be, especially because of what I read. Um, we did the first last month with the wonderful Livia Llewellyn, who uh, wrote a crime story, a noir story, in an anthology called Cutting Edge, which was edited by Joyce Carol Oates, and it's a fantastic book. I recommend it for everyone. And Joyce has a story in as well that's really killer. And uh, this, I was going to say next month, but now we're in February. So the February column is going to be about Donald Westlake, um, who is really my introduction into noir. And uh, he's also famous for writing under one of like five or six different pseudonyms, and that pseudonym is Richard Stark, and he's written over 20 novels about a uh, very brutal thief named Parker. And uh, I, I seriously, researching for this column, I could write 10 columns about Donald Westlake. I mean, this is a guy who started out writing erotica. So it's amazing. He's amazing. Him and, and, Lawrence, him and Lawrence Block both did that. They both did that they were writing for the same uh, sleazy little publisher slash agent in New York and they met and they became great friends and then they co-wrote several of those uh, they were called mid-century erotica they wrote several together and they all had names like honey on fire and they uh, they said that ju- they would just sit there with their typewriters and just laugh and write and have a blast and they were cheering these things out like a week so. That's that's hilarious. Yeah, I, I read a uh, read a column by Block in the old uh, well not old it still exists but Writer's Digest in his old column in there and he talked about that and kind of made fun of himself and you know but the yeah, point pretty funny but the whole point being you know whatever it takes to get started and to make a living doing it do whatever you got to do mm-hmm. and somewhere down the line we're gonna have to. Uh, devote a column to Lawrence Block as well because he's so important. Um, absolutely, absolutely. I I would say two of the most important crime fiction authors 
that have ever picked up a pen, really. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, the the first one that you did with uh, Olivia, like I was, I was aware more of uh, like her horror stuff, mm-hmm. and I think I think in your interview this was like her first like noir story, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, uh, Joyce Carol Oates got in touch with her and said, "I like your writing," um, which is sort of weird horror with erotic overtones, and, and said, "I want you to write one for me in this anthology of all women." Um, it's dedicated to women in noir. And uh, Livia basically said, holy shit, of course. And then sat down to think, what the hell was she going to write? So, <laughs> but her story is brilliant. Yeah, I haven't read anything outside of her horror either, but she's a brilliant horror writer. She was, uh, I believe she won a Stoker for her first collection, and it was mm. much deserved. Yeah. And I, I was kind of curious, John, because I don't think we ever really talked about it. But um, like, what kind of inspired you to want to do like a crime column? Well, you know, you go through different phases of what you read uh, during life. <laughs> I sound like I just turned fifty. Um, and I, I sort of, in my twenties, as I broke away from reading fantasy and science fiction. I started interchanging reading with uh, noir and crime with horror. And so when I really sat down to, to focus on writing prose around the age 40, I had to pick one. And so I picked horror. But I've always wanted to get back into writing crime as well. And so part of, uh, you know, selling the novel Rooster to Grey Matter Press was, you know, just reinvigorating all my interest in crime. And so I thought writing in a column would really help uh, get my mind into that place and also just uh, let people out there who know me only as a horror writer know that I write crime and noir as well. And also, there are just so many people that, that think it's, you know, maybe boring or staid or, you know, it's black and white movies with P.I. smoking cigarettes. And there are others, and they're great. But it's so much broader than that. And it's one of the two genres, uh, horror and crime, where for me, I feel like there's genuine risk to the protagonist. And that's what keeps me excited. And And what caused me to sort of leave some of the other genres, because I know that the hero's not going to die. You know, exceptions like George R.R. Martin, but in most of them. But with a crime book, your guy could end up, you know, dead or in prison or some other horrible thing and so it adds a uh a seasoning to the story something exciting and interestingly too even the best of those other genres like particularly sci-fi comes to mind um the best of those work as well as they do because they embrace elements of crime or horror both in their you know they can. Um, if you think of that movie, Dark City, that had a huge noir vibe to it. Um, and that was really cool. And then, of course, it gets out of control with the, the creepy aliens and the little kid alien and the psychic powers. And I'm sitting here nodding my head like you can hear me. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. <laughs> 
just out of curiosity, Linda, um, mm. what uh, what sort of genres do you usually like to read, or do you kind of just read a little bit of everything? I do read a little bit of everything, but but largely I'm drawn to um, psychological thrillers, crime, mystery, horror. I like dark fiction, which is why John and I are together. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but as I said, I read a little bit of everything. Um, there's a, we have a, we have a fairly wide ranging library. Um, but a good chunk of it is dark fiction. As, as is only right and proper. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Linda, you're also, you're also an audio book narrator. I am. Having having listened to one of your books that you've narrated, I have to say a damn good one. Oh, thank you. So, um, what is uh, you did John's uh, book, The Isle, which I believe mm-hmm. Laurel is just damn near finished with, or just finished? Mm-hmm. I've got twenty pages left, and it's killing me. But <laughs> <laughs> well, like, wait, let's just pause. You go read. No, that's this is yeah, it's really good, but I'm gonna probably have nightmares about uh, lobsters tonight. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> or for me. <laughs> we won't give any spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, Linda, I saw too. I was poking around on your website, and you mm-hmm. have just like a, a huge amount of accolades for a lot of the roles that you've played on stage too. And I, mm-hmm. I didn't know. Do you tend to drift also towards those kind of darker roles, or do you just kind of throw yourself into whatever? Uh, you know, I, th- I I throw myself into whatever someone wants to cast me in. But <laughs> um, <laughs> It's been a while. I haven't done theater in a while. Um, I've been doing primarily voiceover for the last several years. Um, and in terms of audiobooks, I'm sort of aiming at psychological thrillers and horror and mystery because I like doing it. Um, it is, of course, not the only thing I'll do. If somebody wants to hire me to do something else, that's great. But I feel like I do it well and I'm drawn to it, so so that's what I aim at. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you enjoy the book that you're reading out oh, yeah. loud, you're probably going to, you know, <laughs> be able to put something into it. Mm-hmm. Brings a little bit more emotion and passion to the job. Exactly. But what goes what goes into that when you like say that's what I was with the aisle. Mm-hmm. Um, John has this completed novel. It's out. It's published. And then he says, "Hey, will you do the audiobook for me? What? Where does it go from there?" Then I say, "Well, I don't know. What are you going to give me?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, then the negotiations begin. Um, no, <laughs> no, I was delighted. Um, I loved the aisle. Um, I had obviously already read it. Um, so it was, a, it was a no brainer. It was, Oh yes. I wanted to do that. Um, from there, I mean, obviously if I, if I booked a book that I haven't read, the first step is to read it. Um, 
this one I had already read. So that first yeah. step was taken care of. But then I need to go back, read, read it again for who the characters are, um, what the story is, obviously, look at it a little more closely, track it, who who interacts with who, and sort of the, the technicalities of the content. Um, I also look at other technical things like character voices, dialects, um, uh, things that might be required that I need to look up or learn. Um, I do a lot of paying attention to the author's rhythm and the music of the way they write. And my job as a narrator is to realize the author's story, is to serve the text. So the better I know the text and the better, the deeper the understanding of the text that I have, the, the quicker the process is going to be, the better I'm going to be able to do that once I get into the booth. Um, so there's a lot of prep work that goes in before I start recording. And once that prep work is done, then recording day or days are scheduled and I make my tea and go into the booth. Day or days, how, how, <laughs> how long can it take? It depends Say, on the length of the scenario. book. Um, okay. I think... John's book was 11 hours. I think it's about 11 hours. And an average book is about 10 hours. Um, there are some that are longer, that are, there are some that are shorter, but that's a good sort of average. Um, and it usually takes, for every finished hour, it takes probably two hours of recording to get that finished hour. So an 11-hour book would take 22 hours to record. Um so that I'm not going to do it all at one time. No, I no. can't imagine. <laughs> not only could I not stay awake that long, I'd lose my voice. <laughs> yeah, that would be my issue too. Is I I have a limit to how much I can talk before I can't talk anymore. Exactly, and everybody does. Was that a hint? Are we are we ending? <laughs> Oh, yeah. And by the way, that's our show. Good night. Everybody. <laughs> so a 22 hour, you know, if it's 22 hours of recording, I'd probably split that into three or four days, um, six hour days, six or seven hour days, depending on how I'm feeling. That's that's still pretty appreciable mm -hmm. as far as time talking, but a lot more doable. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I, I'm lucky. I have pretty good stamina. Um, and as long as I'm connected to the text and I know what I'm talking about and I'm, I'm doing well, I can go for a while. Um, every actor is different. Every narrator is different. Some people go for shorter bursts. Some people go for a little bit longer bursts. But six or seven hours is sort of my limit. But really, when you think about it from the standpoint of an actor, mm -hmm. um, you're putting a lot of a lot more into the quote rehearsal mm -hmm. than you do for a normal role. Um, just in that you're you're intensively reading this work and getting to know this work, and you know all the details that you gave about how you familiarize yourself with the thing, and mm -hmm. you know before you and absorb it before you narrate it and mm -hmm. it's like 
So there's a lot more to this than just rehearsing your lines over and over again and, and putting the emotion behind them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, although I would say if I was working in theater, I have four weeks of doing that, whereas this is much more compressed. Um, I do put that kind of work into to a role. It's just spread out, and I have more time to work on it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I was just thinking, like... Um it's probably helpful having, you know, the acting background to try and like prepare for this stuff. Cause we haven't talked to many people who have done it, but um, like, I know that there's other audio narrators out mm-hmm. there that, you know, don't necessarily have that background. They might just have, you know, like a good speaking voice or whatever. So mm-hmm. I assume that that probably helps you a lot having it, a background in theater. It absolutely helps. Um, it helps me discover the different kinds of characters in a book. Um, It helps me because my background is also working in new plays and development. So I like working with writers, Um, all different kinds of writers. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that background helps me understand the music of, of a writer's text and rhythm and yeah, all that. Yeah. And, uh, like Laurel said, I, I was on your website and like I saw that you had a couple different like sample clips where you were able to do like accents. Mm-hmm. And that's probably another cool thing because, you know, a lot of actors, you know, they cultivate that over time, like different accents mm-hmm. where, you know, maybe someone else might not have that ability. So that's pretty interesting because it allows you like you said kind of getting involved with the characters and you know kind of the language of the story that Mm -hmm. you're able to like put yourself into multiple different characters yeah and it's fun (laughs) yeah i can imagine i was kind of jealous i listened to like all the different clips and i was like my voice pretty much sounds like this and that's about it (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have Sober Shane and Drunk Shane, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Which one is this? The, this is partway in between Shane. <laughs> Wait, you have three. Well, liminal Shane. <laughs> well, Linda, I was curious because you, you said, you know, that you spent some time getting into the rhythm um, and, and kind of the music of the, of the author's writing so did you find when you were doing john's book that that was easier or harder or is it just you know are you just real familiar with his work so i'm very familiar with his work um and he's his different books are different that's a silly thing to say but um the aisle is different from some of his other books um the aisle is kind of a slow building dread and that was fun to find and fun to work and to find the places in the book that really move and fly and the other places that are kind of slow and, and lingering. Um, and I enjoyed that. And I knew that already because I had already read it. Um, just to contrast that a little bit, I recently did um, Lullabies for Suffering, the collection that Mark Matthews put out with Wicked Run Press. And that's, Six different writers, all of them brilliant, 
all of them completely different. And so the process of figuring out how to serve each one separately and differently from each from each other one was a completely different process. And it was really fun and, and interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, doing an anthology like that. But yeah, yeah. That's, that, would, that would require quite the range, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and uh, too, Linda, I was kind of curious because some writers, they will share, you know, their work with people close to them first. Mm-hmm. Are you kind of like John's first reader for his stuff? Oh, yeah, and it's, it's an awful thing. I am. <laughs> she gets that ugly, you know, barely formed fetal crawling. It's just like mewling. It wants nothing but food. It's awful. It's true. <laughs> you are worth your weight in gold, then, Linda. I mean, or, and <laughs> or something. My, my husband has got through the uh, through the acknowledgement on my book and that's as far as he's going this is my curse too <laughs> I love getting to be the first reader it's interesting that's awesome. <laughs> it's always and it changes so much between the first read and by the time it's done it, it it's a different beast. Well, that first read is so important and it's important to be a trusted person because by the time you finish a novel, you spend so much time with it that you have no idea what it is. I mean, it's this chimera that you somehow finished and now tell me, does this remotely work or should I just go to a shoe store and try to get a job? And you need, and you need, you need someone who won't bullshit you. That's not right. time for yes men at that point in time, or women, as the case may. Be. Well, and, and someone who who knows how to look at a very raw piece of material, um, and you know, won't get thrown if they notice that a character named Champ went through, you know, <laughs> and, and I didn't catch it, you know. <laughs> um, or I keep using the wrong spelling of something here. <laughs> or I re- I don't remember what it was. I read a novel one time where the main character's name was spelled like 25 different ways through her. <laughs> Very normal. <laughs> Writers are not that smart. <laughs> Writers and criminals, they're all alike. Exactly. <laughs> Probably writers are mostly one or two steps away from becoming criminals, depending on how the how that first beta reads, <laughs> how it, how it goes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of curious about that. Like I said, because um, you know, some writers they you know they do do that. Some wait until it's a little bit more finished. But um, I assume you guys probably have a pretty interesting relationship in that regard because um do you ever help i know you have like a screenwriting background john do you ever help linda like with stuff that she's involved with too um in some ways um but well okay so he helps me with accents 
Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I say too many accents. And when I try, they inevitably Oedipus just cross, this horrible cross of like Chinese and sort of vaguely Los Angeles Mexican. Um, and I don't know how I get there, but I'll go from Scottish to there within a minute. <laughs> But, you know, I volunteer whenever she seems stuck. I'm the, I'm the same way. If someone asked me to do an Irish accent, I try to talk like a Brit. <laughs> I did have one, one successful accent run, although everyone is drunk, so who knows. But I was with these three Brits. Well, two Brits and one Scott. And we were all playing pool in New York and then bar hopping. And we decided that there was a game. One guy was a whiner, so he wasn't allowed to whine at all. Um, another guy was, I can't remember what his thing was. There was another guy who complained a lot. Or no, he talked about work. So he wasn't allowed to talk about work. And I was an American, the only one. So I had to talk in an accent from the British, British Isles. So just, so just to piss them off, off, I tried to make it as Irish as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know exactly who won but I know we got thrown out of one place because we started gambling with each other and we were throwing down money on the pool table and trying to sort out the bills. And it was hard. Our math had gone. So <laughs> now, you know, if you got if you got thrown out of a bar, it was the Irishman that won. That's right. Exactly. Thank you. But, uh, yeah, John, um, you mentioned earlier, too, that you had uh, just sold uh, Rooster to Grey Matter Press. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that, I believe, is kind of, and I could be wrong here, but of the stuff you've published, like the first pretty much straight-ahead crime book, and it's also the first straight-ahead crime book from Grey Matter, because I think, I haven't read, this is the only Taft book I haven't read, but when they re-released Girl Shot, I think that's a little bit more of, like, a thriller. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't so, read that one, but I've talked to John about it, so. Oh, Kill Off? Yeah, yeah Kill Off. I think yeah. I called it Kill Shot. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it's a straight-up thriller, but... A, a damn good one that was sadly underrated when it was first released. I don't know how it's, how well it's been doing with Grey Matter, but when he first released it, it was drastically, drastically underappreciated. Hmm. Yeah, I don't so, think he was served well by previous publisher. See, we're terrible about doing this. We we digress so much. It's like, but enough about you, John. Let's talk about someone else's work. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? The more I can make John Taff happy, uh, the less chance there is he'll smother me in my sleep. <laughs> last, last year at Nikon, uh, or two years ago, we shared a room, and I thought, you know, John is a, a mountain of a man. So I turned the AC way the fuck down because I like the cold. He likes it really, really cold. <laughs> I thought, he hasn't complained, so I'm not going to be a a wimp and turn it up. But finally, like on, I don't know, day three or whatever, he sort of very politely asked, you know, it's it's a little cold in here. Could we turn it up? <laughs> it was frigid. John likes it like the snow is coming in the window. <laughs> it's so cold. 
Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Oh, um, no, but <laughs> yeah, I like if it's like above 70 degrees, I start sweating. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I guess before I went off on my little tangent too, I was just gonna ask you, you know, how did you? Uh, like I know you and Tony have had a pretty close relationship because he's released yeah. a lot of work, but kind of how did you know pitching Rooster go to him? And uh, you know, do you think that you know maybe Gray Matter might start doing a little bit more crime too, along with their horror stuff? I think they will. Um, Tony has always seen himself as more of a a dark fiction publisher, obviously with a speculative element, and so horrors, you know. A mainstay, um, but you know when when he published Mr. White, which is a a blend of espionage and horror, you know he was the one that said call it a dark thriller, and so I think he will. And and how I got this to him was basically I had sat on this for a long time for no logical reason, just some sort of writery bullshit in my head, and uh, I finally got in touch with him and just said, you know, do you want this? And he said, okay, or send it over. And so he's, I sent it over and then I didn't hear back for a while. And then finally I was like, I don't want to pry. And he's like, Oh yeah, I, I want to do this. I just haven't got in touch with it yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I had built this whole thing up in my head. So, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that's that's kind of funny, but yeah, I was I was just curious. Like I said, because um, we've talked about this before um, with the John Taft, but um, you know, I was wondering kind of, you know, how has it been like working with Tony since he's done like a lot of your books? Uh, we do really well. I mean, we're friends as well now by this point, but. Uh, I really appreciate his dedication to craft, craft, and uh, sorry, I heard that echo and it confused me. <laughs> Easily confused. <laughs> a crow flew by carrying a nickel, and I'm just like, what? Uh, I, I just pictured John like that, you know, that shot of John Travolta looking all confused. <laughs> Yes, that's what I'm doing right now. Um, no, I love working with him. Uh, I think he's he's very assiduous, and I'm not detail-oriented the way he is, or the way Sharon Lawson is. And so we go through draft after draft, and I push back what I think I need to, and we talk about everything, and he's very respectful of voice. So if I've said something a particular way because of rhythm, he's very understanding about that. Um, so that's really important for me, and I suspect for any writer that, that's working with a publisher and an editor. Um, and Sharon is, she has eyes like an eagle. I remember in Mr. White, I had included something. It was like a, a seven millimeter Makarov pistol. And I even looked it up. But I'm not that good at looking things up. So, so, I, so she said, you know, she gave me a note. She said, there's no such thing as a 7-millimeter Makarov. And I said, yes, there is. I looked it up. And so I looked it up again. 
and there was no seven millimeter macro. <laughs> just fucking blipped right out of existence. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know what the fuck happened. I clearly, I looked at Makarov and they said Colt or something. But anyway, so, so it's very important to have good people that catch things like that. <laughs> look completely deranged. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, yeah, because Tony and Sharon both like uh, that. They were like two of the first the anthologies they did together. Those were like two of the things when I first started reading horror again. Was their anthology, and I've always been impressed by everything they've put out. Mm-hmm. And um, I like hearing, you know. That's one thing you don't really hear too often, like when people interview authors is, you know, kind of the relationship they have with their editor, especially if it's an editor they've worked with multiple times. Well, it's funny. When I first sent a story to them, uh, and it was a short story from Mr. White, and it got into Dark Visions 2, and I thought, I really like these guys. Wouldn't it be great? If a couple of years down the line, we had a working relationship. And so when I finished Mr. White, the novel, and I hadn't said anything to him yet, and I figured he won't want to do this. And I, and I asked him, I queried him very respectfully, and um, he said, yes, send it. And then he read it in a day and said he wanted oh, wow. to do it. Yeah. yeah. So I was and that was their first novel. Because they had been doing anthologies before that. It's a fast read. Yeah, it's, it's like six thousand words. Yeah, yeah. And it flies. But yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, I, I pretty much tell everybody I can to read that if they say they haven't. Mm-hmm. That well, was a response from a from a publisher. Mm-hmm. Hell yes. All I've been getting since the beginning of the year is rejections as I do, you know, agent cold querying. (laughs) It's like, how's my dad going? Two rejections. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not going to bring it up, but um, I hope you're querying with what I think you're querying with because – that that's all the more vague booking I'll do, but it was stellar. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, that's that's what I'm querying with. And so one response I got was great. It was a form letter, and because it because <laughs> it included things like, you know, beta readers are a good idea, and you can look at writer's digest. <laughs> <laughs> so that was. Confidence building. <laughs> 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 yeah, unfortunately, I don't think Shane and I can relate to, you know, the whole agent process, but I know Laurel has an agent. Laurel, was your, uh, was your situation kind of similar to John's before you found yours? I am so the wrong person to ask that of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to come off like sounding like I just walked into some legacy, but um, <laughs> my mom and I have. <laughs> so, like, it's it's one of those things where, like, he um, agreed to read it and he sat on it for 10 months because I think uh-huh. it was like just kind of like a favor, uh, uh-huh. you know. And then he did and he was like, oh, oh, okay, I might actually be able to do something with this. Oh, well, nice. Okay. Yeah. I'll take you on. You're my, <laughs> my client. So, nice. yeah, that's. that's 
I, I'm the person that likes to ask that question. <laughs> it's like, well, that's awesome, I, though. I got my mom. When I was out in L.A. Uh, screenwriting, that's how I got my first agent and a manager and all that stuff. Because I had been cold pitching. And I remember one response. And this guy was a real prick. Um, <laughs> and uh, I could say his name, but I won't. Like, I dislike him enough. But I, I screwed up my courage and I called him and I followed up. And he was like, oh, yeah, uh, that didn't excite anybody here. And that was the end of the conversation. And so that was another confidence-building moment and a series of confidence-building moments. But uh, fortunately, uh, after that, I wrote a screenplay called Brewster. And it was a really balls-to-the-wall. I just said, fuck it. I'm not paying attention to the Hollywood Reporter and what they want. I made it violent and kinky and all that stuff. And a friend of mine was an entertainment lawyer, and he read it, and he helped me work on it. Um, and he has a literary background. <clears throat> and then he took it to an agent, and then the agent picked me up. So That's it helped to have someone, you know, give it a little gold star instead of just some crawling thing from the slush. <laughs> well, I, yeah i remember you had mentioned that you know rooster was a screenplay when we did that like semi-live thing where we did right. like the text chat what was it like trying to take you know take rooster from like a screenplay and kind of transform it into a prose novel was it kind of like an exhausting task or was it really not that bad since you kind of had the image in your head of where what the story was uh, it was hard, actually, until I cracked it. And so I would pick it up and futz with it and then say, this is terrible. And then I'd write Miss White. And then in between, I'd pick it up again and I'd start doing something. And I would say, man, I wrote this in my 20s. I was stupid and terrible and talentless. And then I'd put it down <laughs> and I'd write the aisle. And eventually, I, I had some ideas on how to make changes and basically exploit what I gained over the years in my life. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. And that's part of what I've gained is that, you know, permanent lung damage. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so the, the character, you know, now is he drinks too much, you know, he's got depression and all sorts of fun stuff, and that's when everyone in the criminal underworld decides to kill him. So. Yeah, that that sounds pretty good. Um, like the way you described it as a screenplay, especially that sounds like a movie Shane and I would watch. No, no questions asked. <laughs> Absolutely. And, <laughs> And a book I would read the hell out of today. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know a guy who can get a copy. Um, I'll I'll be hitting him up about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so is that actually, kind of the direction yeah. your new, with your new work as I'm well? Sorry, say that again. It's kind of is that kind of the direction that you're taking with your new work as well? I saw you were tweeting that you'd gotten twenty thousand words on your on your newest. Right. Yeah. Well, now I'm sort of just playing in both fields at the same time. I had thought that I was going to um, 
write a sort of a haunted house book called Spy House. But there were some issues that I was still having with not quite solving who the protagonist was. And because I'm a pantser and not a plotter, I need to own the characters. And that's and then I follow them through a story. But a couple of other ideas that I had for crime stories <coughs> sorry, uh, came together at the same time. And then I was out walking Coraline, my dog, for those who don't know, and all of a sudden I get this title, Mr. Madam, and I thought, that's fucking great. And I sat down and started to play with it, and, you know, like 20 pages were in. And I was like, oh, shit, I think I'm writing this one. So... That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. It's a crime novel now. But it's fine. Have a horror novel be next. Um, that does nothing but just put me over the moon, knowing that you're yeah. writing crime and that you actually have some that's going to be published. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, especially because, like Shane and I have brought this up with a couple other writers who kind of done similar things like you know books like mr white or the isle where they have like elements of both horror and crime um i was just curious you know what your thoughts were about how those two genres work together because like mr white that was even a little bit different in that it kind of was like a espionage thing too Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather than just straight ahead crime and I've always I've always loved that novel. I think I can't remember if it was for Dread or if it was just for the blog, but I actually like wrote something up about it for Grey Matter Press. But uh, yeah, I was curious um, what you you know what you think about how those two genres mix together. Well, as I said earlier, when I read, um, I like crime and horror because I know I'm going to become invested in a character but in those genres there's a very real chance that the hero's going to lose and I don't find that is so prevalent in other genres or that the readers of those genres really want that so you know no one wants I'm going to use another on screen uh, comparison but no one wants the Mandalorian to lose but if The Mandalorian was a, was a horror novel, you know, you got to kill baby fucking Yoda and then have <laughs> The Mandalorian deal with that and maybe Dude, die. You are, you are going to get us flamed so bad for that. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what? That was Linda's idea. You can't, you, know you can't kill baby fucking Yoda, man. <laughs> you know what? You, just, you know what, Shane? You just killed baby Yoda. You know what? If if uh, if Beyonce's fans haven't come after Shane yet, I think we'll be up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he said some stuff about Beyonce on a previous episode. Oh jeez. <laughs> I tried to warn him, but he wouldn't listen. And Rich brings it up every fucking episode. <laughs> case, a Beyonce fan listening. <laughs> you know, to be honest, I can't remember, but <laughs> I always tease Shane about it because, uh, yeah, I think it would be hilarious. But, <laughs> but I think I think the genres crime and horror go together very well. 
um, noir and weird fiction, weird horror, also go together very well. Because in both of those genres, you're looking at a character whose outlook on the world is that, you know, I'm insignificant and the great forces that shape things take no notice of me and things probably won't work out and there's no one to pray to. And if I'm destroyed by the great forces, it will just be an accident, you know, because they don't care. They don't even notice. So I, I think there's a lot of blending. And I think people that like dark fiction like to read around a little bit. You know, sometimes it's fun that there's not going to be anything supernatural. It's just going to be, you know, some guy counting his bullets and trying to get out. Yeah, I need that. That's I need all different kinds of darkness in my reading. If I just read straight <laughs> horror crime, it'll stagnate after a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, do you nestle down in your collection of My Little Ponies when you read that? <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's what I sleep on. <laughs> my, my, my wife is going to graduate me to Ken dolls here in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Boy, that's going to give you some questions. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's just that whole whole platonic relationship thing. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, uh, I, go ahead, Chief. No, by all means, please. <laughs> yeah, I think I I think I've pestered you about this like three or four times now, John. But uh, and uh, in our semi life thing, you kind of said that you had, you know, kind of come up with an idea and talked to Tony actually a little bit about it. But I'm I'm begging you live on air to please do the Mister White prequel thing that you mentioned. Oh yeah, that's not dead. It's just you know. I- I wish I could write more than one thing at once. Um, and, you know, I, if I could do everything at once, I'd be really excited. So it's just, it's in the queue, and I'm work, working my way to that. Um, I actually did an experiment, and I tried to write two novels of the same. Well I, well, I did write them. I wrote the, the one that you read, Shane, and uh, who hasn't come out yet, or which hasn't come out yet. And then I wrote a sort of a science fiction thriller. And I turned out that I just didn't do justice to either. And so I, I've trunked the sci-fi thriller for the moment. And then I just focused on the other one, got that one ready. So, yeah, I mean, I'm still fascinated with the idea. I think it'll be fun. Some people, though, some people kind of like some authors seem like they have 20 different brains all working at the same yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Well, and they I, have talent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can only focus on one piece of writing at a time, regardless of what I'm writing. So. Yeah, same here. So I I don't blame you. I just wanted to make sure that it was still uh still alive. It's not a dead thing. It's not a dead thing. I would love to do it. Um, because I mean I I know the basic vibe and the story and and it's sort of a immediately post. World War II Berlin and Soviets and Americans and Germans and espionage and and Mr. White. (laughs) 
And here we are saying his name on the air. <laughs> over and over and over. <laughs> well, well, Shane, Shane, you got to remember, we have uh, George to protect us now, so. I don't know. I think Mr. White could fuck George up. <laughs> Who's George? Probably. Oh, man. When, sh- uh, when we've been doing these... Before we do the interviews, and it's uh, it's funny because we kind of had problems tonight a little, but not as bad. Um, I told Shane, I'm like, we always call our guests like at quarter after nine. They're probably like, where the hell are they? But we've been having like <laughs> sound issues, uh-huh. and uh, like the one night, I was like, Shane, are you there? And I couldn't hear him. And I'm like, oh wait, I hear you. And then he sends me a message through uh, Discord, and he's, I was like, I can hear you like moving around, like rustling papers. He's like, that's not me. <laughs> and then uh, one time, one time I had to hang up because he, something was going on on my end, and he said he heard giggling, and it was after I had hung up, and it was just me and him. <laughs> Laurel, are you sure you want to join this group? <laughs> Laurel well, fucking George named him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's how he became George. At first, it was just weird stuff going on. Wow. Well, you know what? I don't think we need to worry about George or Mr. Dwight because the Baby Yoda fans are going to kill us first. <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> and they're far, far more vicious than either one. Of them. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, my wife, she's not even a Star Wars fan, and she loves Baby Yoda, like, a lot. Uh, I will watch little gifts of Baby Yoda sort of waddling across things, and I just, yeah. Yeah. What's yeah, funny, I, though, is before they kill us, they'll probably lecture us that it's actually not Yoda, so that's not his name. That's not canon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. thing is, and, and uh, you know... Actually, you don't get to kill me unless you can fucking levitate me first. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, yeah. So- Go ahead. Sorry. No, you're I good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I was curious though, John, on your on your process, like, so when you say that you know you can't work on multiple things at a time, is that from like start to finish editing, or can you like finish a product and and kind of, you know, send it out and then work on something else, or you just... Yeah, once I'm, once I'm done, um, certainly once I'm after a second draft, and sort of that raw creative stuff isn't needing to be done anymore, I, I can, can sort of dedicate, dedicate part of my brain to something else. Um, but if I'm trying to do the, you know, shake the rock play at the time, or at the same time, uh, it doesn't work as well. Gotcha. That makes sense. And I can, you know, one thing I can see about that process, too, with you is that um, you play with voice a lot. You tend to embrace a different authorial voice with everything you write. So I can see where trying to write two different things at the same time, you could really, really jumble up which voice you were supposed to be writing in at any (laughs) given time. (laughs) Are you okay there? (laughs) I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) I thought George got you. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what happened with uh, when I tried to write the two of the same, because I I decided that the one would be 
the normal sort of thing that I write. Um, and then the other one, I was going to write, you know, like an airplane read, you know, really fast and slick and not go too deep. And I gave it to a couple of friends to read, um, including the aforementioned Brian Kirk, who all basically told me that it was sort of, you know, not too deep. And <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'll go back and give it some, I'll thicken it later. <laughs> to, to that point though they were completely different yes um and to to work on the two of them would have been impossible because it's two different voices yeah utterly different i i can see that as but i mean the aisle is actually the first thing that i've read of yours um john and but i can i mean i could sort of get and especially like i, I like john langan's uh blurb on it about you know from one of Nathaniel Hawthorne's fantasies, like there's mm. very much sort of like, it's, it's very modern, but it's so, it's almost like you forget that it is from time to time because of the mm -hmm. way that they are there. And so all that language very much calls that, you know, into mind. And it's such a, it's such an interesting dichotomy. So I can imagine that would be different definitely from, from book to book. Yeah. I had to, I had to stay on the aisle while I wrote it, um, and get really deep into it. And, uh, you know, just spent a lot of time putting my mind to this place. And I grew up in New England, so I can conjure the smell of seaweed and all that. Um, but uh, one of the one of the nicest things that someone told me after they read the aisle was they asked me if it was a real place. Is that a real island? I said, no, that just came out of my head. <laughs> but it's, I mean, but it's so, you know, contained. It's so... Mm -hmm. um, robust, the, you know, the way to, that it is, even just the two sides of it. You've got the old town and you've got the new town and the whole, it's, I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, and I can, I can really see, like, I don't think I see exactly where it ends, but I, I can see the, where everything is very much coming full circle. I'll tell you without telling you that there was a final thing that I did that I got yelled at about and changed it. So, I, I'll tell you after you finish. <laughs> You're close. <laughs> yeah, kind of going off what uh, you said about how the best thing that someone said about it was if that island was real. Like, I know one of the things that a lot of people pick up on is some of the names. Like, uh, you know, they they seemed kind of real. And I know we talked about this prior, but maybe for people who missed that earlier interview, like how did you, how did you decide how to name some of these characters, especially on the Island? Uh, some of it was research, but the inception, I think came from Linda's folks <laughs> who were um, amateur uh Genealogists. Thank you. I was going to say geneticists. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> My parents did genealogy for years, and they've traced. I mean, I have scads of notebooks of of all the work they did. Um, but there are some crazy names oh, in. Tell them who you're related to. The witch. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, dear. Well, I'm a. <laughs> I'm a direct descendant of Rebecca Nurse, who was hanged in Salem um, as a witch. So that's one of John's favorites. Um, but some of some of the names of my ancestors went into the aisle, like 
hate evil nutter. That's, that's a name. That's that's a real person that existed. <laughs> I, I totally thought you made that up too. No, no. <laughs> when I read it, I thought it was fake, but they were very serious geneticists. So. Genealogists. Genealogists. <laughs> yeah, a- amateur geneticists scared the fuck out of me. Exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so you know, I I looked through and I found some names like that. And then once I had that vibe, and, you know, like a lot of people, I read Hawthorne earlier um, so I could pick up in the vibe and conjure up a few more names. And that was fun. And that really helped me create sort of the microcosm that is the aisle. You know, that they their names are a little out of step. You know, almost like the way the Amish, you know, they're out of step. Yeah. 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 I think that's an interesting comparison too, um, because like my uh, my grandmother, she actually lives out in Lancaster County, Hmm. and now that you mention that, it is kind of a pretty apt comparison. Less violent with the Amish, I think. Well, actually, depending on... If we choose this point to segue into telling you if you haven't watched it, you need to watch Banshee. Oh, yes. Yeah, Um, have you heard of that show, John? No, what is it? Oh, man. It's a kind of a rural noir crime show um, in Amish country. Uh, Is that Netflix or something? I'm on Prime. Okay, we got one. Okay. But uh, it's only it's only four seasons long, and then it's over because some fool canceled it. But <laughs> yeah, I I had stumbled across it kind of by complete accident um, through listening to one of these songs that I liked, and it was on the soundtrack. So I saw the little graphic, and I'm like, "What the hell is Banshee?" And I looked it up, and it sounded interesting. I watched like the first episode, and then I told Shane, "I was like, you've gotta, you've gotta watch this show." And then he completely blew past me on it. I, I'm just starting the last season. He's done, but uh, I think it was, it would be definitely something you guys would like. Mm. Yeah, we'll check that out because we're um, almost yeah. done with the first season of You, you know, the Carolyn Kepnes show, which, which is cool. cool. Um, but so we'll need a no show. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched the show yet. I've, I've read the book, which is amazing. Yeah, we need to read the book. Mm-hmm. After uh, after Linda did lullabies for suffering, suffering. Yeah. Um, she kept saying Caroline Kepnes. Caroline Kepnes. Caroline. So obviously I didn't listen now. Well, <laughs> well, we like the show. Yeah, I still I I still have to watch the show. I have to I have to read the books. I'm actually new to her. I've been meaning to read you for a while, but um, the first thing I read was her story in Lullabies, which I just finished. Yeah, a couple weeks that was ago. the first thing I had read too. Yeah, and that story that story was something else. I don't mm-hmm. want to say anything about it to spoil right. it for anybody, but. Yeah, I love that story. So I'll definitely be checking out the books. But I'm one of those weirdos who, like, I can't watch the show first. Like, even if it's no. a book I haven't read. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have to see the show f- or read the book first. Mm-hmm. Normally, that's the case with me. But my TBR 
stacks and shelves. <laughs> you know, it just it's like we could watch this right right now, and everyone's talking about it. Let's just do it. <laughs> and so we did, and then we were hooked. Uh, yeah, the TBR is is that's a that's a real struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That that's kind of a good segue. I wanted to I wanted to ask John because I think he's only done like two of them, and then I haven't seen any more. But I know on Facebook for a while you were kind of doing like the cooking book review show videos. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking about these, and we haven't done one in a Dude, while. Yeah, yeah, those were. I was gonna ask Linda, do you help him with those? Like, do you film while he does it, or no? I have nothing to do with it. No, it'd be good if she helped. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I always liked them, and I can't remember because I did watch like most of them, but I don't know if I missed them. But I know like sometimes you start the kind of recipe thing, but I don't think we ever see like the end, like no. the end result. No, because I I didn't think it through very well. <laughs> One day I just decided I think I had to do this. How should I do this? And that was the one. That was a really bad one because I was sh- all shaky cam, and I was just carrying my phone around as I did shit. And I was new to Instagram, so I was trying to figure out how to use that. So then I learned, you know, that like your video has to be no more than a minute. So my first episode of Cooking with Fear, the two segments both cut off before they're actually finished. <laughs> so, so yeah i i've been thinking about doing more in, in fact i have two books staring at me on my desk um john lag and safira and hank early's heaven crooked heaven's crooked finger finger and i think i'm going to do the same thing with those but i've been also thinking of making each episode a triple segment so that I can get a little deeper on both the the thing that I'm cooking and the book that I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, because in all honesty, like I thought they were great, and then I was kind of sad they went away. Yeah, I... <laughs> they're coming back. Yes, they'll be back. They're See, just on I'd... hiatus. <laughs> Especially. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, if I did a cooking show, people would just shoot me because I'm not a, <laughs> I, I'm not a, I'm not a measurer. I know exactly what the amount I need looks like, and I just grab it and toss it in. Well, that's why I don't actually show me putting stuff in. I just say, you know, garlic powder and cayenne and pan across them because I don't measure shit. I do everything by taste. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's why. You know, I, I don't know how to show the actual process of cooking because it's sort of chaotic. You gather all those shit together and cook it. Yeah. And then I'll walk away for a little while and then something burns. And then I come back and I say I shouldn't have gotten on social media. And so I'll adjust, you know, chaos cooking. I've been there. Yeah, that's what it's like when I try and cook stuff. It's a fucking mess. Like there's <laughs> there's shits like spilled everywhere, bags everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny. I I asked about that because uh 
you know, we follow each other on Facebook and like every once in a while I scroll through Facebook and I see like, you're like, Oh, I stopped here to eat or this is something I made. And I'm like, damn, I was like, I need to have dinner at John's house. (laughs) He's really good. He's really good. (laughs) Yeah. It always looks so good. I'm like, like I'll be, I won't even, I could have just eaten and I'm like, I'm hungry now. (laughs) Well, you know, that's one of the great things about an adult is that I can eat whatever I want, which is why a lot of times, you know, I'll have like some Vigiloo curry for breakfast because <laughs> <laughs> this is what I want. So when I'm making stuff and because I'm usually the one that goes to the store to get the food, it's like, well, yes, we are having ribs. ribs. <laughs> <laughs> Like we, I didn't know when I had left the house, but I do now. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, well, yeah, and I frequently go and I said, like, okay, I need some fruit and some hand soap. I come back with two bags. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no way not to. The salmon look good. <laughs> and, you know, that whole adult thing, it's like a, several weeks back now I had ice cream and french fries for dinner. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There are different that's, sides to that coin. Uh-huh. That's a strong move, though. <laughs> you have to put your foot down. Establish who you are. Motherfucker, I'm having ice cream. That's uh-huh. right. Fucking french fries. Freedom I got, fries. <laughs> I have to ask, Shane, what did your wife say when you had that for dinner? Did you make her something separate, or did you make her eat ice cream? And fries? No, that was that was my second dinner. Those ones I have right before I go to bed because I smoke too much weed. <laughs> okay, yeah, that makes it. sense. That's what, yeah. Second breakfast, eleven fees. Maybe that maybe that was the problem. The hobbits were like they had breakfast. Then while Aragorn was doing some hero shit, they smoked a ball. And then they're walking along and they're getting hungry. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh this I apologize for all of this. Oh no. (laughs) <laughs> uh, the more mayhem we bring to it, the happier we are. <laughs> well, good. You're talking to the right field. <laughs> I'm going to be so pissed when I get off the phone, though, and there's no french fries or ice cream. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah, I'm bummed about that, too. I've got, I've got french fries and beer. <laughs> Just stuff some fries down at the bottle. We're all fat, like big fat worms. Well, yeah, that way you get that way you get some protein in your beer. That's right. Well, protein. What kind of fries do you have? Yeah, no, no, I think about it. That's that's kind of gross, isn't it? Yeah. You got protein in those fries, buddy. Those aren't fries, man. They're fingers, aren't they? <laughs> You've got fingers and beer to snack on after. Reminds me of a purple soda hand. <laughs> John Taft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it does that. <laughs> like, I can't even contain myself now. 
<laughs> but what would that story be called? Redneck beer fingers. <laughs> that actually sounds like like a great B horror movie series. <laughs> Redneck beer fingers two, the reddening. <laughs> oh man, if Tef listens to this, he should uh, reach out to you, Shane, and you guys should write that together. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Taff is one of both of our listeners. He's he's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> one of two listeners. <laughs> like we got a five star rating on iTunes. It helps only having two two listeners. <laughs> oh man, hey Laurel, do you yeah. look at your reviews? I do. Like, like you go on Amazon, look. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had any gloriously evil ones? I it, it actually didn't get posted anywhere except for a blog, and mm. um, it was infinitely hated. And you know, like, but it I actually feel like it served a huge purpose because it's like so. Then I was like, oh, so the worst had happened. You know, somebody hated it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, yeah. And the thing is, you know, not every book is for every person. So mm-hmm. it just right. kind of like got me over that hump. And then I was like, okay. I don't really care anymore. This is fun. You know, so, <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to kind of, I love Mike Hicks has some of like the the most hilarious one-star review. <laughs> uh, him and Edward Lorne yeah. get eviscerated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got one. Look at this, your... And this guy wrote paragraphs. Um, <laughs> little bitch. He gave me one star. And he compared whichever book it was, I can't remember, but he was like, this is the worst book I've ever reviewed. And I reviewed, it was like, Nazi zombie bimbos from the moon. And it was just, it was so, so over the top that it just became comedy. I still think it's hilarious you called him a little bitch. <laughs> a little Actually, bitch. That's, that's basically uh, mine and Rich's tagline. Yeah. <laughs> My first novel, Dead Men, uh, when it went out with uh, for Professional Motion Machine. So that goes out, and Max shoots me a mother, or message, and uh, I promise I'm not drunk. It's just the echo keeps throwing me off. Um, so he shoots me a message, and he's like, you know, the good news is there's a review on Amazon. The bad news is it's like one star. <laughs> so that was, that was my introduction to getting my novels reviewed. It went off hill from there, but that was a, but it's it was a, great a sobering book. experience. It's, it's a great Look, it would suck to have that be your first review, but thank <laughs> <laughs> you. my first reviews were crickets for like three yeah. months. So mm. yeah, that's tough. You know, I feel bad all the time now nowadays because I suck really bad at leaving Amazon reviews, but mm-hmm. Amazon sucks really bad at deleting my fucking reviews. Right. And I get so frustrated with that, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So anyway, fuck you, Amazon. That's all I'll say about you. <laughs> I have to insult somebody big every week, or it's just not. we just make friends wherever we go. That's right. <laughs> Wait, so we got uh, Yoda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beyonce. Beyonce. <laughs> and and <Now> I am. <laughs> right, right at this moment, there are dwarves. Dwarves. Drones swarming. <laughs> I swear, completely sober. Dwarves. Dwarves. <laughs> now you get an idea what it's like for Linda when she reads my rough draft. <laughs> and then I come back with notes like, um, I was confused in this part. <laughs> what does dwarms mean? <laughs> That's an XJ26 literary technique. <laughs> Too fun. What the hell does slizzle mean? <laughs> That's my third level elf. <laughs> How do you get in your notes, Linda? Do you tend to be like pretty? Do you, do you kind of try and be nice with it to kind of soften um, the blow, or do you just tell them what's up? Both. I try to nicely tell them what's up. <laughs> um, I what I try to do is what what I always learned in terms. Of, like I said, I have a, a a new plays background. I've worked with writers for a number of years, and I was always taught, you know, don't rewrite it, but focus on okay where was i confused where was where what do i remember what do i forget were there places where i sort of tuned out um what drew me in um i try to give them those kinds of notes and if there's a persistent spelling error or something like that i'll say okay you change this spelling like swizzle pain right (laughs) but i try to just give larger you know yeah, larger the bird. Yeah, yeah, and in a rough draft, that's sort of what yeah. you're looking for. It's like, is there anything that's really not working? Yeah, or something that's working well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> is that and that doesn't cause any? Do, <laughs> do you give him like a couple hours to not speak to you after you? Give him <laughs> <laughs> no, he takes it pretty well, or at least he pretends to. <laughs> no, it, it, it works well. Um, <laughs> It never worked well with my ex-wife. Hmm. It was terrible during the screenplay years. <laughs> and then he usually, like, I'll give him some notes, and then he'll start hitting me with questions. Like, what about this, and what about that? And right. I'll just give my impressions and take it from there. Well, it's funny. Uh, I have a writing group, and um, there's a specific process that we go through. And part of it is, you know, uh you don't even speak while you're getting your critique. And then you can have a little crosstalk afterwards. Um, and the general advice is when you get the, the critiques, give it a day. You know, because you may bristle despite your best intentions. Not that I would ever do that, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to say, um, like, I've. When I did creative nonfiction, um, mm-hmm. I did a couple workshops and 
you know, it was the first time that I've had other people read stuff because there's like 20 people and you'd print it out and hand it around. And we would mm-hmm. do like a critique and that has got to be one of the most terrifying things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like having 20 different people be like talking about your story while you're sitting right there. Yeah. <laughs> but I it's also, it's a hell of a, hell of a learning experience too. Yeah. I, yeah. Was a, I was in a writing workshop like that where we would write a section of our story and then, bring it in and everybody would you know destroy you <laughs> well it, it, it builds character it, yeah <laughs> i think writing in general builds a lot of character yeah. i have i have <laughs> shitloads of character, character. <laughs> a metric fuck ton. if character were money i'd own the fucking world That's right. <laughs> i buy i buy amazon from jeff bezos and make my butler <laughs> and, and refuse to publish any of his goddamn reviews. Oh, that's right. That's right. Gold. Yeah. <laughs> no, in, in our in our crit group, you know, part of it is also all the comments should be positive and proactive. So everyone's pretty good, and it's an invitation-only group, so you're not getting strangers. Um, because you need to know who is reviewing your stuff. You need to understand who they are. Uh, I remember when I was first having people read my early screenplays, and not that they were very good, but I was writing some, you know, macho bullshit, and the guy that was reading my stuff, and I would read his stuff, but, uh, you know, he was like this, you know, 38-year-old, virgin Star Trek addict and he hated the macho stuff and I sort of figured it out like after the second thing that he read he just hates anything that's tough guy stuff because you know virgin (laughs) now can I ask um, how do you know he's a virgin (laughs) (laughs) He, he really radiated virginity <laughs> <laughs> some people uh some people really, mm-hmm. really do yeah um, I, I'm, I feel confident <laughs> it's just like there's uh, those people you know when you're when, when you're sorry there's that one kid who always gets picked on and it's because you, you can just see right out the gate he's a professional victim yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah this is like a professional virgin <laughs> uh, that job sucks really bad. <laughs> He's a nice guy. <laughs> that also sounds like an erotica title, though the uh, radi- uh-huh. the radiating virginity or oh, <laughs> professional virgin. <laughs> the professional virgin. <laughs> there are people who that. And everyone was safe. <laughs> she was a professional virgin. A professional. <laughs> I think John found his next uh, story idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the boys of Alpha Chi had no idea what was coming. John is John's following in Donald Westlake's footsteps. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
and there you go, Shane. Uh, if you if you could come up with a pseudonym, John, I don't know if you've ever thought about it. What would your pseudonym be? I actually had one once. Uh, I used oh. to work in public relations and do a lot of stuff for video games. And I I, I knew, knew a ton of journalists, and I like games. I wanted to review, but as a PR guy, I couldn't review because it was a conflict of interest. Um, so I came up with the name George Stark, which is the pseudonym that comes to life in Stephen King's The Dark Half and tries to kill the writer. So that's what I wrote under. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it was fun. And then I later found out that uh, uh, at the time, editor, now publisher, uh, had come across something. I wrote some review and he said, oh, we could hire this freelancer. Who's this George Stark? And then he found out it was me, and he said, I'm not hiring you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this this awkward silence brought to you by... (laughs) Professional Virgin. (laughs) In theaters now. (laughs) Only certain theaters. (laughs) <laughs> um, it's like Rick Santorum's favorite film. <laughs> John, John Pat's favorite film. <laughs> oh, do not let him Just tell him it didn't happen. We were, we were John, if you're listening. Foster threatened us before we started this episode. <laughs> you know, he he did say he had a high uh, snap quotient, but I think that might make him reach it. <laughs> I don't know though. Like I like I told him that that femur says his snap ratio is. <laughs> you know, what? I love you for going there because I thought of his femur and I said I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Shane has no qualms about bringing that up. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> no, John used to like me. <laughs> uh, he might. Go ahead. I was just gonna say he might not after listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm just getting a little worried that the professional virgin is going to become the next to the written and it's going to star half of the community, especially. A lot of you nerds are professional virgins. Too. <laughs> Well, when I worked with video game clients, that joke came up a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I bet it did. I actually wrote, um, I I co-wrote an article for a a magazine that's dead. It was a uh, a game lifestyle magazine called PC Accelerator. But I pitched the idea to the same guy who wouldn't hire me when he found out who I was. But I said, I want to write this under my own name. It's not about specific games. It's for the, the February issue, the Valentine's issue. And I also told uh, Playboy was a client of mine. So I said, I know I can get us a model. 
And uh, it was not only supposed to be about how to use use video games to get girls, but we kind of just made fun of people. <laughs> when it got published. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was never my experience when I was younger that video games would get. <laughs> yeah, there was, was not a lot of empathy in the piece. <laughs> For some reason, all the other nerds wanted to hang out with me. <laughs> oh, I love my people. <laughs> so, hey, we had talked about this, but I don't remember what conclusions we came to because I'm an idiot um, <laughs> that Linda was maybe going to do some reading for us. Yes. I was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty uh, sure I mentioned it, but I can't remember what it is now. Well, then we will talk about that offline and we'll plan that for another time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Linda, John committed you to reading an entire fucking book to us. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right. Well, wait till you hear the title. 22 hours. What yeah. the pipe? It's a short one. It's Everybody Poops. <laughs> I, I remember having this conversation. I just don't remember where it went. But I remember saying yes on Lincoln's behalf. Thanks. I, yeah, I, 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 I apparently, apparently he didn't share it with Linda. <laughs> Everybody but Linda knew this was happening. That's just make awesome. up a story, Linda. Just make something up. Well, we're surrounded by books. I could just grab something and start reading. <laughs> we should ad lib the professional virgin. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you'd be perfect for that part. Oh, oh. first the beamer, now the version. <laughs> that'd be kind of impossible. Maybe if I didn't have my daughter, that joke would have made more sense. <laughs> <laughs> Are you gonna come back to that, Shane? <laughs> you know, I just—I don't know. I think. <laughs> Do you have any kids, one? <laughs> There's no kids here. Okay. Except so, us. We have a dog. Yeah, except us. Yeah. Uh, sea dog counts too. Yes. yes. <laughs> She's as much of a person. I love her as much on social media as I do pretty much anybody else. She's the best. More than, more than most. <laughs> she is snoozing inches away from us. Yeah. She well, just wanted to be in here with us. What's her what? Uh, sorry, what was her? What's her breed? She is a Dutch Shepherd mix, probably uh, Dutch Shepherd Pit mix. Oh, she's adorable. She's yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, she's pit mix myself. I I love pits. So Me do we. Too. They're yeah. wonderful. And there's so many to adopt. So we're just um, in love with the breed now. When I worked at the animal shelter down in Roseburg, I got in so much trouble because of that breed because. They'd come into the shelter, and I'd take them and have them neutered so they couldn't put them down. Right. Because, mm-hmm. because they had a policy they wouldn't put them down if they were fixed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'd sneak them out the back door and slip them into a van and then put a neutered 
sign on their fucking kennel, and I got in trouble for that shit. All oh, no. <laughs> that's awesome, though. That's, that's heroic. That sounds like a reality yeah. show. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, you know, it's, there's such, such such a prejudice against the breed. I know, and they're wonderful dogs. Yeah, they are. The sweetest we, dogs we, in the world. We call yeah. them nanny dog. They're so loving. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I still run into that. Like, someone will, because mine is a Border Collie pit mix, and she mm-hmm. just looks like a short-haired Border Collie. Yeah. And so people will be like, oh, what is she? I'm like, oh, pit. And, like, they visibly draw back. And I'm like, listen, mm-hmm. wuss. She didn't do anything to you. She's on a leash. Uh-huh. <laughs> People used She's to do that to my water all the time. Mm. Um, but yeah, pits are. I've never encountered a sweeter dog. Maybe a yeah. mask. Mm-hmm. But um, there's just no sense in the prejudice against them. It's the people who make them the way mm-hmm. some of them are. Yeah, that well, be. you know, a lot of people for a while decided that they would sort of brand themselves as badass by, you know, having a pit and not treating it well and making it mean. And I'm not even talking about the, the fighters and stuff, but just, you know, that I used to live in Venice, California, and you see the bangers and the, the banger wannabes. They all had the pits, you know, with the spike collars. And it was, it's just terrible because they're wonderful, smart, active, sometimes too active. Loving <laughs> dogs. They're, they're loving. so sweet. Yeah, um, and the things they have such a, a bad rap for um, any dog can be made to behave that way if you're yeah, used exactly. to it long enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. it's, it just makes them kind of ripe for that mistreatment. And that's, yeah. I mean, it sort of compounds the problem. It's when I adopted Ladybug, I mean, the. the uh, Ladybug? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, her, her name was Lady, and mm-hmm. she was 16 old and she answered to it but my husband like despises that name so we had to come up with something <laughs> <laughs> like we could you know would still work with her but yeah mm-hmm. it was that place with half pits that was and and they had even put on her uh cage they just said border collie mix right mm-hmm. and like ah, i see that little pit face i see yeah. it they did that with Coraline too um they they in fact i remember seeing one of her adoption videos that said definitely not a pit no, she's, she has she has pit in her. She's got pit shoulders. She's got the blocky pit head. Um, I, I want I want to I want my dog to teach me how to lift weights. Like when I mean <laughs> when I look at her muscles and I'm like, my God, how did do you do squats? Like what's I want to lose weight. And that's another thing about Coraline, 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 Coraline. Um, is that uh, she uh, she has the musculature of a pit. There's yeah. No yeah. question with the brindle and her head and her muscular mm-hmm. musculature, well, um, and, and her personality. Usually, and the pictures are usually kind of silly or cute. Um, it's maybe hard to believe, but sometimes people are leery when they see her on the street because she looks tough. She's big. She's and, sixty pounds, and she looks muscular. And uh, she is like about half the time leash reactive to other dogs. She wouldn't actually attack. But she puts on a display, and it's a terrifying display. Um, she looks scary if yeah. she wants to. And that's uh, – I had a dog that was that way, but like you said, leash reactive. If he wasn't on the leash, he would mm-hmm. run up to dogs and try to play with them. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah if he was on the leash – Ignore him. Yeah. If he, if he was on the leash, though, he would sound like he was out for blood. Yeah. Yeah, because they can't protect themselves. Yeah. So they're sort of sending a warning out. 
Yeah, I think it's more can't protect you. Mm-hmm. They I want think to, so, too. They want to be able to protect you before anything or anyone can get close to you. Mm-hmm. But she, she's like our ambassador to the neighborhood. You know, when <laughs> we moved in um, to bed you know, we just started walking around the blocks with her and got to know all kinds of people really fast. Everybody wants to meet her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like even the guys, guys that are, you know, you know, selling, selling weed down the street and hang out outside drinking, they know her and they've given, they have a name for her. They call they her call princess. Her princess. So everyone sees her and wants to meet her. her. I want to meet um, her too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. And she wants to meet everyone. Yes. <laughs> she loves people. She does. And food. <laughs> and food, yes. Especially if it's our food. <laughs> I wasn't ignoring you guys a minute ago. I was talking to you, but my mic was muted because I do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just it's talent. talent. It is. <laughs> from, the fir- from the very first show onward, I don't think there's ever been one that I didn't mute that fucking thing at least once. <laughs> uh I'm trying to think. There might have been one episode, but yeah, it is a pretty uh, pretty regular feature. And I probably should have muted myself at that point in time. <laughs> was this the Beyonce one? <laughs> yeah. I suspect it was our drunk solo episode. Oh, God. I haven't listened to that one. Now I'm going to listen to it. <laughs> well, that's because we trimmed, like, what, Shane? Like, probably a half hour off that episode. Yeah, a half so, hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, hello, everybody. This is... God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because that was... Uh, I, the, we did that immediately after we talked to uh, Sean Hamill. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're like, you know, we're like, oh, let's do a second one. <laughs> I got a cosmology of monsters sitting right here, and I got it because of what you put up, Rich. That list of best books you had read. Awesome. Have I you saw t- it in Barnes and Noble, and I was like, I'm gonna get it. I, I love that book. Yeah, that was a that was a big favorite of both Shane and mine. That was one of my Stoker disappointments that he didn't get a nod for that one because it it you'll see when you read it, John. It's definitely deserving. Yes, yeah, uh, that's probably my next read. Either that or Alma Katsu's The Hunger. Oh, that's oh, that a, one that's was- another excellent book. Yeah. That's what I've heard. I have not had a chance to read that yet. I have an arc of the deep. Oh, that was cool. That yeah. Uh, I can't wait to read the deep, cause I'm a, I'm kind of a sucker for uh, like historical horror, like any kind of horror that either ties into a historical event or you know takes place you know in other centuries, and I really dug that one. Yeah, it looks cool. So speaking of books, what are you guys reading? What are you reading, Linda? Right now, I'm reading my current project. So, oh, right. <laughs> um, which is a thriller that I cannot give the title of because it hasn't come out yet. Um, but that's sort of what I'm immersed in, and it's hard to read for pleasure when I'm working on something. Oh, I bet um, it is. 
I just finished a a Blake Crouch and a Ruth Ware. Those are sort of fast, fun reads. Um, Yeah, both great authors. Yeah, and that's what I read right before I went into this this next project. So. And I've got the Ruth Ware now. It's uh, the Turn of the Key, Mm -hmm. which is a mystery, but it has some cool sort of gothic-y horror overtones. I have that one, I think. I haven't read it yet, but I've read a lot of her stuff. She's definitely, definitely a huge talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's fantastic. And I'm really enjoying this. And it's very fast. Mm-hmm. Most of her stuff is really super fast. Yeah. Um, when it comes to that, you know, the crime fiction, thriller fiction, um, her and uh, Megan Abbott both mm-hmm. are- yeah. Game mm-hmm. and oh yeah, so. yeah. Megan Abbott is me. Have you read Queen Pen? Yes, that was the first one I read by her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the hard case crime one, right? Uh, I don't remember. Maybe not. Be. Yeah, it might be. I I read so many damn books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the was the first line. I want the legs. Right. That's so good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, Megan Abbott's amazing. Yeah, you dig her. You dig her, Rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've yeah. always been meaning to grab some of her books. Uh, see, I, I get so sidetracked because Shane and I, we have like a little chat thread and we talk to each other like all throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much like rapid fire, like, check out this book, check out this book. <laughs> <laughs> so we had like all these books and not enough time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely plan on adding one to the top because I wanted to start adding more crime books into, you know, just pleasure reads and also coverage on the site. Like I just finished today uh, the Sylvia Moreno Garcia book, Untamed Shore. Mm-hmm. I've heard great things, but I haven't read it yet. It's very, very good. Um, it's very character driven and. Like, a lot of times, you know, I read all kinds of crime stuff, but, like, Shane and I, we veer towards, like, that very violent, like, gritty stuff, like Banshee or what have you. This is a lot more restrained than that, but the way that she handles the characters is excellent. Mm. Like, it's, and the tension, like, it slowly ratchets up throughout the book, and by the time Mm. you get to the end, it's very, very good. Yeah, I, it will happen at some point, you know. It's, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. There's just so many. There's so many great books out there, both crime and horror lately. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just not enough time. Rich, Rich, I thought you were going to try to name something. You just drew a blank. Like, no. Uh, <laughs> oh no, man! If I started listing some of the books out there. Right. We'd have like a whole nother episode. <laughs> yeah, speaking of crime fiction to be excited about, uh, I just contacted uh, Laird Barron's publicist at uh, Penguin this morning about his third Isaiah Coleridge book. Oh, I can't uh-huh. wait. Yeah, I good stuff. Wait. Yeah, I've really enjoyed the first two. I mean, everything is written I like, so... Yeah, me too. Every everything he touches is golden. But I always, always longed, just like with you, to see him 
write some straight crime fiction because you can tell in everything he writes that he's got the chops for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he likes to mix that in anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought was interesting when we talked to him. Because, like, I thought the Coleridge series was going to be, like, straight up crime and noir and stuff. And, like, separate from his other books. But then when we talked to him, he said he was kind of starting to work some of the influences of his other work into those books. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to see how he does that. I felt that a little bit in the last one. Um, Was it Black Mountain? Is that the title? Yeah. Yeah, there there was some overtones of something that felt a little more spectral um, and got more frightening. And is there a scarier villain than the Crow Toad? <laughs> oh my god, that was so good. It was so <laughs> yeah. good. That's, yeah, uh, Laurel, you'll definitely like that one when you uh, read it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited too. I really liked Blood Standard. Mm-hmm. That's so. good. Really good. And John's reading the Hank Early novels, huh? Yes. Uh, well, I read the first one, and uh, I'm going to read, you know, the other two. Um, but I try to restrain myself when I find a writer I like. I don't want to get, like, seven books at once. Especially when they're newer and their work is finite. Well, no, it's just self-discipline, and we're not rich. So. <laughs> There's that, too. <laughs> You know, like Ramsey Campbell recently came out with a, a very sort of almost Lovecraftian cosmic horror trilogy. Um, I think it's called the, the Three Something of Dayloth. Uh, but I've read the first two, and I have the third, but I'm just sort of holding off on reading it. Because once I read that, then I'll say, my fucking TBR doesn't have any Ramsey Campbell in it now. I do that too. And I've got, I've got a lot of Ramsey Campbell in my TBR right now. I just finished hungry moon. I have the influence that I'm reading right now. I love the influence. (laughs) Um, then I have the wise friend, which is forthcoming. Uh, I'd like to tell you when, but I don't fucking remember. He's amazing (laughs) because his career has had such a trajectory in terms of tone. Um, you know, the early stuff was very cosmic and Lovecraftian, which is why it was interesting so much later in his career that he returned to that. But then he went to that sort of almost more pulpy horror, like the influence in a very straightforward horror. And then he got into this weird shit, um, not like weird fiction, just it was, I don't know how to quantify it, like it was not the dark. Weird. And the yeah. of the dark is really unsettling. Um, yeah, that's the th- and unsettling is the key word when you're talking about Ramsey Campbell's work too. He can uh, he he can really rattle you. Yeah, yeah, he's a master. It's like I think the first book I ever read by him is also one of the scariest books I ever read. The um, the doll who ate his mother. I haven't read it yet, but it's on my list. Uh huh. Yeah. See, and if I had read this one. That might be the one that I order. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I could talk about books all fucking night long, but you guys are on the East Coast. And, um, and people want to listen to us laugh and 
<laughs> You'd be amazed at what the fuck people will listen to. Yeah. <laughs> all two listeners. Right. <laughs> yeah. all, all, all one, one of them is Taft. Right. <laughs> but the great thing about John is he listens twice. <laughs> so do you guys want to share anything else with us? Do Laurel and Rich have any more questions they want? to ask desperately before we let you go wash your hands of us? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I'm going to, as soon as we get off, I'm going to rush and go finish the aisle. So that's okay. that's where I'm at. <laughs> I, hope you like it. I love it so far. There's no way that the last 20 pages could could do anything to mar that so oh, just yeah. wait don't, just you know, wait yeah, yeah. <laughs> you haven't read john's work before have you <laughs> i got one comment from uh alex hofflick at pseudopod after he read mr white and, and he, he just, just messaged me and he just said you don't like happy endings do you <laughs> <laughs> This, and that this, was all he said. This does seem to be a trend, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Hell, dead, dead Men ends with a tragic. It starts with a tragic ending. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, and th- that's another book that's in the queue. The third one. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a beat. That's going to be upbeat. <laughs> <laughs> the whole series is just feel good butterflies. <laughs> that is the, uh, the Libros de Inferno. Mm-hmm. Say it. Yes, Libros de Inferno. Okay. That's, that is the trilogy that we are talking about, or series, such as the case may be. And, and then and then Night Roads. And it's criminally, criminally, criminally underrated. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> that is some of the most. Pro- it probably is the most noir work you've published today. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, it, it all came from a single image, and it was two guys in black burial suits and in a dusty black Cadillac, and that the entire thing came from that. So that noir carried through and they're criminals so um sorry about that that <laughs> mic thing again go ahead rich <laughs> uh no i was just i was just gonna say i can't wait to read the third one of those yeah i'm sure professional emotion is feeling the same <laughs> <laughs> Max, you know, every time I talk to Max, he's either talking about that or pizza. <laughs> I wish I had had a story for that. <laughs> oh, he's amazing. Uh, he's gonna—he's probably gonna block me after he hears that comment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think you're safe, Shane. That time that uh, after we spoke to him, I pitched him on a sequel. <laughs> and he didn't—he didn't block me, but I don't think he was too happy either. And he's—he's—he's he's, he's never fucking talked to you again. <laughs> no, I'm that, kidding. You know what? You might be. You know, you, do. No. <laughs> you know what you should do? Pitch a professional version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> what an anthology. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Right? What did 12 different writers do with that? <laughs> oh, my God. That would be outstanding. It's better than pizza. If, yeah, I think if there's any publisher that would take that on, it would be it would be them. <laughs> hmm. But anyway, so then Rich didn't have any questions. Did you have any questions? No, no, other than it's been a lot of fun talking with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> it has. Um, it, yeah, it's been a blast, and we should do it again very soon. Um, I'd love to. And uh, obviously, when Rooster is approaching, we'll want to get you back on here, John, and talk about that some more. Yeah, please do. That'd be wonderful. Absolutely. Um, thanks for being here, everybody. I really appreciate it. And Thank you for having us. Oh, my pleasure. Any time at all. Linda, you have such a great speaking voice, you can just host in my stead if you want. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> just mute Shane and start talking. <laughs> Enough of that, guy. That's how far when we said good night. We yeah. will. Thank you. You guys all take it easy. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. <laughs> all right. Bye.